We'll open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to take an appropriate break today from our normal exposition through Ephesians. As you know, we are a verse-by-verse church for the most part. We do take some time to do theological and topical uh, series on occasion, but pretty much we just go to the next verse and keep seeing what God would have to say to us. That's appropriate, and we're going to pick that up here in our next study of Ephesians, except today is, is unique because we come to Psalm 119. And the reason we've come to Psalm 119 is that we are reading through the Psalter, through the Psalms, in our scripture reading time and the regular part of our worship service. What I want to do is give you a little background and tell you how I want to think about Psalm 119 today, if we may. One of our church's commitments and habits is to devote at our gatherings to reading a passage of the Bible. And when we do read it, we typically stand in honor of God's Word and read it from from the front. Well, I've been asked many times, why do we do this? Why do we read it? Why do we stand? Um, And it should make sense because we're Mission Road Bible Church, that we have a commitment to the Bible and to reading it. I'm often asked, though, why do we stand in honor of the Word? Where does that come from? Let me just break that down. Why do we do it and why do we stand? I just want to give you some some helpful scripture because this didn't just come out of preference or out of nowhere. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, Paul is telling Timothy how to remain faithful as a pastor in Ephesus where he'd left the, the kind of the reins of the church in the leadership of Timothy's hands. And he says, until I come, 1 Timothy 4, 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Now, there are a lot of elements there. The public reading is to read it out loud so that everyone has it. Remember, not everyone had a copy of God's Word at that time. There was usually a uh, scroll that they would pull together or a copy of uh, one of Paul's letters or one of, Timothy, uh, one of Peter's letters. They would read to the church. Then they would have exhortation and teaching. And I think we do that by sermons, by our Sunday school, by our children's uh, uh, curriculum, and that's to explain the meaning and the application of God's Word. But he's very clear to pay attention to it, to not forget it. And so we take that seriously, and we read part of God's Word, even separate from our sermon, every week in our gatherings. Let me say something that should be self-evident. The preacher, whether it's me or anyone else who stands here, The preacher is never better, never more true, never more accurate, never more orthodox, never more helpful, and never more authoritative than when he's simply reading the text of Scripture. Why do we stand when we read God's Word? Well, there are reasons for that. The models left for us in Scripture are interesting. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, you'll remember that Ezra and his friends had found a copy of the law which had been lost for a while. They found it. Everyone wanted to hear it. No one had a copy, so they wanted to hear it. So they built a, a stage, a platform, high above, not so that the reader could be uh, noticed, but so that everyone could hear. That's why we do this, is for hearing, not for, for glorifying anyone. But in Nehemiah 8.5, Ezra opened the scroll or the book 
in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people on a platform they constructed for this. And then he says this, when he opened it, all the people stood up. In other words, because God's word is so precious, they would stand to indicate to each other, to indicate to the speaker, to indicate to God himself that God has our full attention. That's no anomaly. When Jesus came to the synagogue for worship in Nazareth, he stood to read the scroll of scriptures Then he sat down to preach, which is not a bad idea. Uh, Just someone who I stood up a few minutes ago at the beginning of the service, and I won't sit down until the end. Um, You stood to read the scriptures, then you sat down to teach, but it was usually in a small, enclosed um, synagogue with with basically stair-stepped seats that people would sit on, and the preacher would stand in the front to read, then sit down to preach. Luke 4, 4, 4, 16, And he came to Nazareth, Jesus did, where he had been brought up, And as it was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Consequently, we've adopted the practice of devoting part of our service to reading the Scripture, to honor the public reading, and to stand in honor of its importance. Now, a few comments are needed here to qualify this preference and principle, not this requirement. First, If you're unable to stand for any physical reason, medical reason, fatigue reason, age, you name it, or sometimes it it may be appropriate if you're in a place where you just want to hear God's word and you want to sit down to focus, please uh, take advantage of that. This is not a superstitious thing. You can sit anytime you want. And I know Aaron would say the same thing in a song. We don't want to be legalistic about this. We stand to honor God's word, but if you need to sit, that doesn't mean you're not honoring God's word. No one's going to judge you, I trust. No one should look with someone who's sitting and make any judgments because we might not know the reasons. Can we just make that commitment to each other even moving forward? Secondly, just make note, we don't stand every time we read the Scripture. We don't do that at the beginning of the sermon. We don't do that every time I have a cross-reference. That, that would kind of be up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, there's no command to stand in honor of the reading of Scripture, and there are many contexts and reasons not to stand for the reading. Third, standing is helpful, though, for my soul. Uh, It's a visible, noticeable reminder that we are all corporately admitting that God is the author of this book and He has our full attention. As you know, we've been reading through the last couple of years the Psalter. And I was looking back um, just this morning at what we've done in the public reading of Scripture over the last 10 years. We've done all four Gospels, you know, part of a Gospel every Sunday. We've done the book of Acts. We've done uh, portions of Deuteronomy we have done portions of 1 Samuel. We, we've done a lot of and, and just isolated texts. But we decided to do the Psalter or the Psalms because they're the hymn book of Israel. And even though we're not singing them, although Aaron does sometimes match our songs with elements of those, those uh, psalms, even though we're not doing that, we're, we're actually worshiping together by hearing the psalms. And I've been so blessed to do that, to read them with each other. It's rare, in fact, I don't know if you feel this way, if you're paying attention, it's very rare for me to 
read a psalm on Sunday morning without the Lord completely ambushing me by a sentence in there that I, that I needed to hear, that I wanted to hear. So I would encourage you when we do that reading to listen to God through his word. I'm also amazed at his providence that brings those little sentences and sometimes macro theologies in the Psalms on days that I need it most. But today is interesting because we landed on Psalm 119, which is, if you want a title, God's Word on God's Word, on Reformation Day. Can't make this stuff up. It's just beautiful how God's providence organizes our worship Since we began reading the Psalms back in Psalm 1, we always knew that Psalm 119 was coming. We talked about it in elders. We talked about it in staff. What are we going to do when we get to Psalm 119? Why? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest psalm in the Psalter. It's comprised of 176 verses. It's known as the Mount Everest of the Psalms. And it's the size of the entire book of James, the entire book of Philippians, and the entire book of Ruth. What do you do with this? 176 verses. Do you break it up into the 23 strophes or the 23 uh, uh, kind of little verses that it is made up because it matches the Hebrew alphabet? Do you do it half at a time? That's pretty long. Do you do it a third or a fourth? How do you make the arbitrary division? What should we do? We had some entertaining discussions about that. We never thought about skipping it, though, just for the record. Psalm 119 is unique from several perspectives. First of all, it's written as an acrostic. Uh, In other words, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, which has 22 letters, and every strophe or every eight verses, there are eight verses, every one of those begins with the same letter in the Hebrew. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Deus, Reish just goes right through the, the, the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes through. Now, it doesn't come across in English. But it does come across that these are grouped in theological categories. I also want you to know that this is written as an I to you format. It's a prayer. The psalmist is talking to God about God's word so he can understand God better, which will issue forth in obeying him more faithfully. The author and the time of writing are unknown, but scholars have suggested that it might have been written after the Babylonian captivity or or during the Babylonian captivity and organized. Everyone has a theory. Some people think it was David. Some people think it was Asaph. I've been asked, so I'm going to tell you, I think it was probably Daniel uh, because of the allusions to the princes being against him and the trials that he was in. But I can't be certain and I wouldn't preach that as, as dogma. Sometime read the book of Daniel and then read Psalm 119 and just see if it fits. No one can be certain. And one thing that is clear, God didn't intend for us to know who wrote it because he didn't tell us. So it's all guesswork. Same with the book of Hebrews. Every single verse of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 mentions God's word. It's not always called God's Word. Sometimes it's called the Torah, the law, or the testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word or words. 
and ordinances. Those eight synonyms all go back to speak of God's Word. Specifically, the psalmist is talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But I think as a principle, the, what he's saying about God's Word expands to the entire canon of Scripture. I think it's interesting as you look at this psalm that it speaks of his interaction with God's Word all the time, comprehensively. Sunrise to beyond sunset. The Word of God integrated with this writer's life. For example, in, psalm, in verse 147, he talks about interacting with God's Word before dawn. In verse 97, he talks about interacting with God's Word daily. In verse 164, seven times daily. How would you like to have seven quiet times a day? He did. Verse 55 and verse 148 talk about interacting with God's Word nightly. And I love uh, verse 62. It says at midnight. I think you could put that together and say that the, the Word of God was on this brother's mind a lot. All the time. He didn't just check the box with his quiet time in the morning and then move away. Seven times a day at least. Up until the late watches of the night and before the sun even rose. Alan Ross notes that the psalmist often speaks of several different responses he had to God's word. He delights in God's word. He loves God's word. He obeyed God's word. He meditates on God's word. He rejoices at and because God's word. And it was all intended to renew, revive us. With these background thoughts, I, I think the best way to absorb the power and implications of this psalm, and we've talked about this, like I said, for months or a year plus, is to read it all. I'm not going to ask you to stand. We've already said you don't have to stand every time, and I think you will pay more attention if your back is not aching from holding your Bible for 25 minutes-ish. But here's what I'm going to do. I want us to read it purposefully. If you have a pen or a pencil or a piece of paper, I'd like to ask you to take it out. Because my suspicion is what's going to happen to me will happen to you and that is, as you're reading this, you're going to say, oh, that's where that verse is. Or, oh, I want to come back on that. Or, oh, I need to talk about that with my wife or my husband or my family or my sibling or my kids. This should be triggers for you to come back and revisit some passages in here, not just an experience of reading it and going home. So you can even take a pencil and mark some things in your Bible or underline things. I'd almost rather you write down because we're going to be going at a pace in a clip, and I, I, I hope you don't get distracted, but please write down verses and go back and, and look at them. The bulk of the psalm, as I said, is couched in a prayer. It's speaking to the God of the Word about the Word of God. And as such, I want to encourage you, you can use this psalm in your prayers especially before your quiet time, before you read the scriptures. I, I, I was convicted in thinking, it's just it's broken down into eight verse segments. I should read one of those eight verses before every quiet time I have, just as a, a primer to get my heart ready for, for interacting with God through his word. So keep that pen handy. Write down some verses you want to come back to for study 
and for meditation. And with that, I want us to hear from God. You say, that's kind of a big statement. This is God's word. God speaks through his word. So as you listen, don't just listen to a psalm. You will be hearing God's voice in God's word. Psalm 119. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. In your word, I've, your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances all the time. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I've chosen the faithful way. I've placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, 
the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and do and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach which I dread for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 41. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word, so that I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. So I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I may observe your precepts. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness. O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 
The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word while I say, when will you comfort me? Though I have become like a wineskin and smoke, I do not forget your statues. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pits for me. Men who are not in accord with your law. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. They almost destroyed me on the earth. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. Wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and will confirm it, confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Oh, accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Verse 113. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me that I may be safe, that I may have regard for your statutes continually. You have rejected all those who wander from your statutes, for their deceitfulness is useless. You have removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. I have done just, justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after the manner, your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You've commanded your testimonies in, the right, in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your word. 
Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Verse 145. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look upon my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Many are the per- my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I behold the treacherous and loathe them because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise for you. Teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word. For all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your ordinances help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. 
Seek your servant, for I do not forget about or forget your commandments. Amen. What a passage. Full disclosure, I read it several times this week to prepare for our reading. I read it this morning before first service. I read it during first service. I read it in between services, and I just read it now, and I just... I notice something new every time. It's incredible. We just heard God's word about God's word, which means we heard God speak to us about what he has spoken to us. The refrain that continually had my attention is love. I love your law. I love it. And did you hear the accent on affliction or trials? I would have gone astray unless I was afflicted and been revived by understanding you and your word and your truth. I was wondering about how to characterize this psalm. This is a, an entire manual on biblical counseling, an entire, entire manual on pursuing sanctification, an entire manual on bibliology, and an entire prayer on how to be close to God through his word. I hope you found some nuggets to cycle back and revive yourself with and to see. What do we do with this? Well, I want to I give you three takeaways and, an, and a footnote to carry with you. Can I do that? And there are dozens of walkaways from this. Uh, it, it, it's overwhelming. Number one, I'll say it a couple times. God's Word is what we most need to obtain what we most need. God's word is what we need to obtain what we most need. You understand that? That the sufficiency of God's word can only be experienced if we have our minds in his word, reading his word, memorizing his word, meditating on his word, loving his word, teaching his word, being taught his word, being around his word. God's word is what we most need to obtain what we most need. I love offering wisdom and counsel to people. I love getting phone calls where people are seeking to know what God's perspective of me. I, as a pastor, as a friend, I love that. But I often think when I receive those calls, and I often think when I make those calls, that that should have been a second call after I went to the Bible. Which means you can't just open your Bible and drop your finger and think that's going to work. We need to know our Bibles, know what's where and where to find it. And if we can't, that's what we have teachers for. That's what we have more mature disciples for. That's, that's how the church functions in a, in a self-healing manner to give each other what heals us, which is God through His Word. Number two, this is profound and, and, and simple. We ought to pray about our engagement with Scripture. We ought to pray about our engagement with Scripture. Did you notice that all of this is prayer? The psalmist is asking God to illumine his mind, to make his life apply what he's learned, to help him to see things, to understand righteousness and judgments and truth, ordinances, commandments, regulations, specific commands of omission and commission. 
Have you ever had a time in God's Word where you just kind of have a few minutes, could be a few minutes, could be a, an hour or more, and you walk away and you think, well, I did it, but I, I don't remember much or there's no much, not much practical here. I, can I encourage you that that might be because many of us just open our Bibles and start reading without doing what the psalmist did? As simple as, teach me your ways, teach me your statutes. We have access to the author who wants us to understand, who's spoken, spoken clearly, spoken accurately, spoken practically. I think God answers the prayer to help us behold wonderful things from his truth. Way more frequently and way more willingly than God give me, you know, the lottery ticket. He loves to answer this prayer. Number three, we are so blessed to have the access to God's word that we have. We are so blessed to have the access to God's word that we have. We were talking about this in our Wednesday night class that it's, it's only been in the last two centuries, two, 200 years or so, that people, it was, it was normal for people to have their, their own copy of God's Word. I have more copies of God's Word than I can count. And if you count Logos in my, in my, on my app on my phone, I have 80-plus versions. Some of them I can't read. They're Swedish or French, or but they're there. You understand that you have more of God's Word in your hand than any writer of Scripture ever had. You have it all. And those to whom much is given, much is required. So thinking about the access, we have copies of God's Word. We have the freedom. Can we just take a moment and pause and say, thank God that we live where we live with the freedoms that we have I know countries where if you read God's word, you go to jail. I know other countries, if you own God's word, you're executed. Our access is unmitigated. It's unhindered. We have Bible study aids, commentaries, and teachers, and podcasts, and sermons online, and so many study aids. We have Bible, a Bible-believing church. Praise God that we are committed to the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God here at our church. We have the fellowship of other Bible-loving friends to talk to. So what do we do? We read God's Word. Now, I just want to, I just want to have a brief moment. Kids, kids, can I have your attention for just a second? Hey, kids. Kiddos, look, everybody, see Pastor Rick for a second. Listen, I want to encourage you. The most important thing that you can learn to do at your age is to read the Bible and learn how to read the Bible. And your mom and your dad would love to help you with that. Even if it's one verse a day, okay? So kids, please, have your own copy. Read it. Study it. Talk to your parents about it. But let me just encourage you, if I had one way, kids, to tell you that your life is going to go better if you do this, 
learn how to read your Bible, okay? Then you can come and tell Pastor Rick anytime something you read in your Bible, I would love, along with the other pastors, along with the elders, especially your parents, would love to hear what you read that was important and that caused you to make a change in how you think or how you act. For the last 10 years, I've kind of hit a note here in our church that I want to hit one more time today. It's what I fear in Bible-believing churches like ours probably more than anything. And that is that we can unwittingly, sometimes unknowingly, substitute and confuse appreciation of the Bible and God's truth with application of the Bible and God's truth. What I mean by that is it's easier to appreciate than apply. Oh, I like that verse. I like that reading. I like that sermon. I like that book. I like that recording. I like that, that, that uh, uh, podcast that I listen to. Appreciation doesn't do anything unless it leads to application, which is exactly what James chapter 1 says. His is the illustration he uses. Can you imagine going to a mirror, looking in the mirror and seeing your face and needing something that, needing an adjustment? There's something on your face that needs to be wiped off. Your hair is, and it's not crazy hair day, kids. You're, it just needs an adjustment. You, you need to adjust your collar or your clothes. Or Can you imagine seeing that adjustment that needed to be made and saying, ah, and just walking away? Did the mirror lie? So James says, if we come to the mirror of God's Word and we see the wonderful nature of God and the the nature of ourselves that needs adjustment and correction, and we do nothing, we're fools. So I beg you, talk about, learn, understand, to walk the difference between appreciation and application. So what? If it doesn't issue forth in your life changing how you think, what you say, how you interact with people, and how you perceive and worship God, then you haven't come in the way that the psalmist did to teach me your word. What a God who didn't leave us to guess about who he is or what he expects. We have it all. Sometimes I just want to take my Bible and hug and hold it because I don't know what life would be like without this. And the only reason I know that is I've seen God change little Ricky Holland from Tennessee into something that he wasn't then but is now because of interacting with the words on these pages. Let's be those who love God's Father, open our eyes that we can behold wonderful things from what you've said.